0: Just having the experience of like living for a week in Bucharest or living for a week in Bali in in Ubud or a week in Sydney, you know, like you you get a lot just from like walking around Sydney for a week. You meet cool people, you talk to cool people, it's gorgeous. And then after a week, it's like, I can stay here another week, but I'm ready to move.
1: Episode 392, Matt and Julie Urbanski talk about family world travel and ultra running. This episode is brought to you in part by KIND. KIND makes delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. If you guys haven't tried it yet, their Pressed Bars by KIND are the best, in my opinion. Go try the Mango Apple Chia. It's awesome. We've got a special offer for you guys to try 20 KIND snacks with their new snack pack. You can enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through Snack Club, which is KIND's monthly snack subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash sports for more details. That's kindsnacks.com slash sports to learn more and to subscribe to the Snack Pack. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville.
2: Hey friends, I have Matt Urbanski with us today and his wife Julie is going to be joining us soon she is putting their son to bed right now for his nap and so she's going to join us in a little bit to talk about the urbanski lifestyle and man is this a neat lifestyle matt and julie a few years back decided that they didn't want to live life according to all the normal ways that that most people do and they decided to live a minimalist lifestyle full of travel and ultra running and long trail hiking And they continue that lifestyle today. I'm excited to visit with them about what that is like, especially with their young son, Pavo. So, Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah. So you were on the show on episode 234, and that's been a while back. So I know a lot of stuff has happened. I want to tell the listeners, though... If you want to get the first part of the story, we'll overlap a little bit with this show, but the first part of the story in more details, that will be more about episode 234. So go to the adventuresportspodcast.com website, click the episode categories, do a quick search for Urbanski, and uh, you'll find that episode 234, or of course you can search for episode 234, but that's the easiest way to get to it. And uh, Matt. It's been a little while since we last talked, so catch us up. What's been going on?
0: Well, our kid can now walk. He's two and a half. Pavo is awesome, and he's. Uh, so I keep score. He obviously doesn't know where he's been, but he's been to five continents, seventeen countries, and twenty-seven U.S. states already. Uh, probably <laughs> That's had awesome. over sixty. Yeah, I probably had over sixty flights, and. Um, yeah, we just keep going. We're in Colorado right now doing some mountain, cool mountain stuff, and we'll be heading over to Europe next month. So, yeah, he's, it's just the life he knows, but he's, uh, he's had some, some cool experiences already, which is a big part of what we're, we're trying to get, trying to give him a cool life.
2: Yeah. Well, I want to talk a lot about what that looks like, but some flesh on that. Um, but I also want to make sure that we get to talk about ultra running quite a bit because that's become a big part of your life as well.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. We, Julie and I both got into ultra running a few, probably seven years ago, and it just continues to ramp up where every summer now, actually almost the entire year, a lot of our travel is based around where are the cool races? Where are the good places to run? And so, yeah, that's a big reason why we're going to the Alps this summer. It's a big reason why we were up in the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming last week. And almost every, every bit of our travel can be traced back to some sort of cool race somewhere in the world.
2: Well, I know there are a lot of people who are sitting here going, okay, so we got a couple of trust fund kids here who had a baby, <laughs> and they're just burning through their parents' money, right?
0: Yep. <laughs> far far from the truth. Uh, <laughs> no, it's... That's a good question, and I think a lot of people always want to know about that, but they're often people are afraid to ask us, and we're really proud of it and so I'm glad you bring that up because I think that what we do is way more accessible to people than they realize um, The short of it is we we worked corporate jobs till we were thirty I'm almost thirty eight now we we saved up, we invested, thankfully, the work we did was in the investment field, so we learned about what to do with money, and our money has worked for us, which is awesome. And then once we had our son, we stopped doing the corporate world. I had started a coaching business for runners and it's grown to the point now where it's a fast a growing startup business that we do remotely and pays our bills and at least gives us a glimmer of hope in the future that maybe it, it's something that, that's big that you know, gives us all the more freedom to do really some bigger adventures somewhere down the road.
2: That's really cool. I brought that up because I knew that you guys were self-funded, and I just want our listeners to hear that. It is something that everybody can do if you get a little bit of planning in the right angle. And your angle, if I remember correctly, Matt, from the first interview, the coaching business was almost accidental. It just kind of took off, and now it's become a, a nice little stream of income for you.
0: It's, that's exactly it. I, I went back to school just kind of because I thought it would be a cool thing to learn. I, I got a nursing degree, and I thought it would be a fun thing to know about. And during the time I was in school, I Julie made me a website for coaching. I got started picking up new runners and helping them along their, their journey to being a better runner. And by the time I finished school, I had a full roster. And then over the last year, we've grown our, our company. It's called Team Run Run. We've grown it to the point where we now have 24 coaches that coach with us and close to a hundred athletes. And it's this really cool thing that's just all about connecting runners with awesome mentors and coaches. And our primary work now is just organizing, maintaining this cool, fast growing community of runners. So it's, it, I mean, we plan and think about things from a business perspective, but like, it wasn't this great vision that we had to like put into play over the course of 10 years. This thing that just has grown organically and new opportunities present present themselves to us. And we just keep rolling with it and it's fun.
2: That's so fun. I think it's cool when that happens. And, and I don't know if you can count on it always happening, but when you put a little of energy into what you really are passionate about and then it catches on and you can just watch it grow and it becomes something that is valuable in return um, it's so awesome when that works out. And I think it often does. I think that it's not as simple as just saying, Well, I love this, so I'm gonna hang out a shingle. You know, there more yep. has to go into it.
0: I definitely agree. And I mean, we didn't have like where our company is now is not where we envisioned it five years ago when we started, but we're I like to think of ourselves as people that try and stay open to the different ideas and opportunities that come up and, and being able to take advantage of those opportunities when they, when they arrive. So I feel like we've just had our eyes open and we're like, Oh wow, this would be a really good thing for us to do next. And this would be a really cool thing to try and accomplish and to put our energy into. And so we, I mean, that's just sort of how we operate with life. I mean, that it's how we end up hiking the trails that we've done and all the other stuff. So
2: well, when Julie joins us, I, I want to make sure we...
0: I'm pausing us right now because Julie is just walking in to join us.
2: Oh, very cool. Hello, Julie. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast.
0: Hi, how's it She just successfully got our son, Pablo down for a nap. So now now we get to all talk together, which is
2: fun. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, I thought we'd start out by talking about ultra running a little bit. And then I want to dive back into the lifestyle and what you have been up to lately. But... uh Matt, why don't you just kind of give us a quick rundown of some of the ultra run types events that you do so that people get a feel for what we're talking about?
0: Sure. Um, For example, I would say some of the big ones that maybe people have heard of, it's a really small, ultra running is a small community, um, but it's got some key events that are sort of like the Boston Marathon of ultra running. So like in the last few years, I've run the Western States 100 mile race, which Starts in Squaw Valley, California, and finishes um, close to Sacramento. Auburn. or Auburn. Sorry, or Auburn, California. Yeah. Um, I ran the, the UTMB. It's the Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, which is a 105-mile race around Mont Blanc in the, in the Alps, where it starts in France, runs into Italy, then into Switzerland, and finishes back up in Chamonix. Um, most recently, last weekend, I ran a 100-mile race in the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming, which was a crazy... Mudfest, slog through the night and cool experience all of them are they're challenging a lot of people like to say ultra running or 100 milers in particular it's like you live a lifetime in a day where you get really high highs really low lows and they're just so rewarding when you come out the other end
2: mm. so how many do you think that you've run now
0: uh, in the 100 mile category I've, I've completed 12 of the 14 that i've started and I'm proud to say it's been quite a few years since I've had any that I didn't finish. I've got my head on straight and I know how to finish these now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can't imagine. You know, I, uh, I enjoy running, but I'm not a strong runner. And I would like to be a strong runner. And I think a lot of people can relate to that too. The, the ability to go 100 miles to a lot of people just sounds like it's, it's completely out of reach. And I'm curious about it. When you started running... Um, did you start out saying I'm going to do ultras or was it like, well, I wonder if I could run a little farther and a little farther, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've had the experience of being a lifelong runner. I ran with my dad when I was five years old and did track and cross country through high school and college and transitioned to road marathons. And then, gosh, it was a decade ago that Julie and I heard about, actually, we were hiking the PCT when we met some people that were out training for this 100-mile race called the Angeles Crest 100 down in Southern California. And we thought, holy crap, this is amazing. People do this? And so the seed was planted while we hiked the PCT. And then it was, wasn't was until 2008 that we both did a 50-mile trail race. And then I don't know, over the years, the idea just grew on us. And then the more and more you get into the scene, the more and more it's like, oh. Tons of people do this. All kinds of people do this. Old people, young people, heavy people, skinny people. Everyone, pe- all sorts of people can finish. Um, it's it's largely a game of having a really strong mental game and also knowing some of the logistics of like making sure you get enough calories and you stay hydrated and you know how to take care of blisters and you know all the all those kind of things. That it's not just running. It's more like how do I manage myself and my my journey well for 24 to 34 hours so that I can keep going and get to the end and all sorts of people figure it out Um, so it sounds like it's this crazy out of reach thing but I would challenge anyone that thinks they couldn't do it just go to the finish of a 100 miler and just sit at the end for like the last two hours before the race is over and you'll see all sorts of people coming in you're like wow they can do it I can do it
2: Mm. Well, let me tell you a little bit of my story, and hopefully our listeners will relate to that, and then I would love to hear your response. I do a lot of adventure sports, obviously, but recently, mountain biking has been a a real focus for our family. We've had a lot of fun with it. And then I started skiing in the fall, and I said, wow, all of that training in mountain biking didn't translate very well to skiing. And then... (laughs) I was like, wow, that's a different use of muscle. And then uh, the ski season's over. We started mountain biking again, and that was a lot of fun. But my oldest son came home from college, and he says, Dad, I want to do a lot of 14ers this summer. And I love 14ers. So we said, okay, we'll just make it a 14er summer. Why not? I love climbing. Haven't been doing it as much as I would like. So we did our first 14er last weekend. And guess what? Wow, mountain biking training doesn't really translate to hiking up a 14er. (laughs) And... We made it to the top in, in pretty good time. It was a short one. It was only a four miles up and about, well, maybe four and a half up, four and a half back. We were trying to beat the weather. And uh, we made it to the top and started racing down because the weather was on us. And our knees gave out about halfway down. And I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. So we limped the last two, three miles back to the trailhead. It was only a, like an eight and a half, nine mile hike, Right. Of course, it's a very strenuous hike. Don't get me wrong. It's a class three, four, right. But the point is, injury shut us down in only, uh, let's call it five hours. I don't know what it was. Now, you're talking about doing something to your body for 24 to 36 hours. So here, this is where I want your perspective. How do you manage to do it without having those sorts of my joints swelled up and locked up? You know?
0: Well... I've I've said all so far that it's a largely a mental game and a a lot of managing logistics but you really want to prepare for them too and so <laughs> you know rather than if you, if your if your focus was on hiking fourteeners ers you know, hiking training for a few months would make it much more likely that you don't have those injury issues on your hikes um and it's the same with ultra running so the longer you're consistently training the more specific your training is to the types of races and events that you're interested in the better um, and just just getting yourself physically prepared also for the challenge ahead and then also like notice kind of having a sense of what the boundaries are that you, the signals your body tell you so uh, if you're starting to feel some things in your knees you know, maybe it's time to pull out your poles and you know give your your knees a little bit of a break, or you know, kind of like, oh, I should probably back off my effort right now, or maybe I need to sit and just like rest for 20 minutes and eat some food and relax and then carry on. Um, I feel like there's a lot of those kind of things that you got to listen to what your body tells you and and prepare, and the more you prepare, the better your odds are that you have less problems to overcome. I I think that in 100 milers, it's largely a matter of there will be problems that come up and then it's just how well you're able to stay calm and cool and solve them. Um, but the better you prepare the less problems there are that do show up and usually the less severe you know, they're not as severe.
2: Well, I, I knew that your answer would be around that. And here's the part that is kind of funny to me is that we had been very, very active on the mountain biking and had become quite strong and quite fit. And in, but it didn't translate. It just didn't translate. So I guess more cross training would be in order then.
0: Yeah, and I would just say more hiking. Just more hiking. Yeah, yeah. I mean that those are the muscles and the the motions that your body is going through to do 14ers and just spending more time out hiking with some gear on and and trying to simulate without going so hard that you're getting injured, um, the better. I mean, I think. The best thing for being better at hiking is to hike more, not to swim more or to bike more or, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, there are some strength training things that if you have extra time, I think they're great to do. But the more specific your training to the, the goal you're after, you know, the better your odds are of succeeding with the goal you're trying to accomplish.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you're 100% correct because <laughs> I'm living yeah. proof, right?
3: You know, whenever we do through hikes First week, we're like newborn fawns when we get up out of our tents, you know, every morning, like because where our legs are just so sore and we're just like not used to it. But then, like two weeks in, we're just machines, you know. And so, it's just getting those gears going and getting the legs used to downhills, uphills, switching gears.
0: And even if we were running well before a thru hike, it's still not. That it doesn't translate the same to say, you know, oh, we were running an hour a day every day for months leading up to a through hike, it's just not the same as walking up 10 to 12 hours a day with a pack on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are some things that help, you know, like the running, it would have been better to run than to do nothing, but um, it, it's not the same thing to prepare us for carrying a bunch of weight on our back and hiking mountains.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And I was actually even thinking, had I just run more cause I run some, had I just run more than, The 14er would have probably been a better experience. But here's a question for you. This is specific. Part of the reason we were rushing down is because we lost our weather. And it got very, very, very cold and very, very wet with literally 70 to 80 mile per hour winds. So we were getting blasted. And my knees got very, very cold just before the pain set in. And I thought, I wonder, had I uh, insulated my knees, if I would have had a different result.
0: I think that that probably would have increased your odds of you know, not having the knee issues. It's not a guarantee, you know, but I, I would think so. Like I had an experience running a 100-miler in North Carolina back in April where my body was breaking down after 80 miles, which is normal, but then it got cold and started raining more, and my hip flexors just tightened up so much that then I was forced to slow down even more, and then I tightened up even more. And the last 10 miles were just the worst. And I think had I put on my my nice rain pants and a little more gear, I wouldn't have tightened up so much. And then I wouldn't have slowed down so much. It would have still hurt, but it wouldn't have been to the the magnitude that it was had I just been better prepared for the weather. And stupid me, I had this stuff. I just didn't put
2: it on. Well, that was (laughs) me too. I had rain gear in my backpack and I thought, oh, I don't feel bad. This feels great. I'm still going. (laughs) But then it caught up with me. (laughs) Yeah, that was me, exactly. Hey, ASP listeners, have you ever tried a Kind
1: Bar? You may have seen them in your local grocery store, coffee shop, or gym. They make delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. Well, if you're ready to try some tasty and healthy snacks, we've got a special deal for you. Try 20 Kind Snacks from seven of their unique product lines with their new snack pack. You can enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through their snack club. Snack Club is Kind's monthly snacks subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com/sports for more details on that. I love their pressed bars like the mango apple chia bars, or I pretty much guarantee you're going to love their breakfast bars first thing in the morning when you climb out of that hammock. So take a minute and see what they're creating over at kindsnacks.com/sports and get your 50% off plus free shipping on your first order. That's kindsnacks.com/sports. Jen Beck Seymour and her husband, Greg, were guests on our Life Outside the Box series and Patreon. They decided to quit their stressful careers in the States, sell most of what they owned, and move to Costa Rica. To find out more, you can visit them on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Appalachian Trail Tales. Benjamin was another Life Outside the Box guest who bought himself a combi van and spent six years traveling from Chile to Alaska sharing room in his van with strangers along the way. You can get more about Ben's journey on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Hosta Alaska. And if you haven't heard these interviews yet, you can do so by becoming an Adventure Sports Podcast patron for just five bucks a month. We really appreciate everyone's help in supporting the show.
0: Julie always tells me that, you know, she gives me a fairly hard time about those decisions. So i in order to avoid those kind of comments after the fact i have been getting better about it like at big horn last week and i actually put on all my cold gear and i think it made a positive difference as i was going through the mud in the middle of the night so it's good to have a wife who will tell you about the things you don't do well
3: sometimes
2: well julie <laughs> you need to come on our next 14ers so you can remind us to take care of <laughs> things
3: Yeah, <laughs> <Good. laughs>
2: that'd be fantastic one of our patrons on patreon it's a tongue twister for me Uh, I had a question for you specifically, which is related to this, but instead of just how to avoid injury on a long run, I think it's how to avoid injury when training to build up for longer runs, the type of injuries that knock us out of a sport for extended periods of time.
0: I mean, the the biggest source of injuries in running are going to be overtraining injuries, basically doing too much or doing too much too soon before your body has re- responded positively to the stress. I mean, anytime you want to get better at something physically, there's a a cycle where you apply a new stress and then you rest and then your body adapts and comes back stronger to that stress in the future. And the biggest mistake people make is they apply the stress, but then they don't rest and they just keep applying more and more stress and eventually the machine breaks. Um, So it's really respecting that cycle of including rest into the process um, and knowing that you'll get more gains if you take some rest after you, you apply the new stress. Um, I would say this is a good time to say also, if you were going to try something that was pretty new or outside of pretty far outside of your sort of realm of past experience, I think working with a coach is a great idea. I mean, we've, we've just seen so many positive results as you know, people just have someone else there along the journey and like saying, Hey, go do this today. Do this That You should really take a rest today. I mean, notice your knees have hurt for the last four days. Like let's take a rest day. Um, So I think just involving others and having a plan, but then also making sure that you get the rest you need and you listen to your body. I think those are the, those are the key things to avoiding injury through the training cycle. I mean, there's some things that you just can't avoid. Like people get injured on trail runs all the time. It's a, it happens. I was just meeting up with a woman yesterday who ran on a world championship trail team and hadn't fallen for two years and took this huge digger and like like cut in her knee with multiple stitches down to the 10. You could see the patellar tendon. And oh. It was gross. Yeah. And I mean, th- those kind of things happen. And I, I don't know how you avoid those. She's a, a pro runner and that stuff still happens. But the bigger thing is the, the overtraining and not resting well enough. And then having the body break down.
3: I'd say the other thing we see a lot is like uh, go for consistency over like big, huge training runs or workouts. Like we have some, you know, people get excited. They're like, oh, I did 20 instead of 10. But then I can't run for four days because I Mm. wrecked myself on the 20 miler. And then then they got to recover for four days. And then they get back into it. They feel bad. They go for 10 miles. And it's like, oh, man, we got to just cut it back, aim for like five easy, five lower days a week and your body just responds so much more but be- so much better to consistency versus like huge clumps of stuff at least that's what we've seen a- in a lot of our runners if, if they can just be consistent uh, even if you're not even doing workouts just being consistent is a bigger thing to uh, avoiding injuries I think
0: yeah that's that's really yeah, a good I, word I could piggyback on that and just say in general with endurance sports it's way more about the long term than the short term. And, you know, people maybe they watch like a movie like about the Barkley Marathons or Western States and they get all excited and they want to go do it. And there's like this binge training cycle and it just doesn't work. And the best way to improve with endurance sports is to do it for a long time, to do it consistently and to just have a nice, steady, gradual buildup. You avoid injuries and in the long run, you can people can see huge gains and it's, it's really cool to watch and be part of
3: Yeah, I call it the slow drip method
2: versus the binge method. Mm. Well, I'm a binger, (laughs) always have been. (laughs) And that's always gotten me in trouble. But uh, let's take someone like me just for fun. Uh, Cardiovascular, doing okay. Like I said, a lot of biking and stuff. And and so feel feel fairly strong, but I'm not running much. So if I decided that I was going to train for a big event, um, what's the protocol?
0: I would say the first goal is to get you up to where you're running five or six days a week. And the biggest thing I would tell you right away is to keep the effort level easier than what you think. I'd say, go run a snail pace for, for the first couple of weeks, but get up to where you're running five or six days a week and not feeling beat up from it. And then once you get the routine down where you can actually run that many days per week without feeling bad or, or beat up from it, then we start injecting some new stressors to the routine and it kind of depends on what your goals would be and what you're trying to accomplish but a lot of it could involve just some like short quick sprints whether they're uphill or flat and really get your body to become more efficient so that it takes less energy to go faster and by doing that over like short sprints it translates over into all the longer distances so I mean I would just say the biggest the biggest thing we would want to accomplish first with anyone like what you are, you know, kind of what you're saying is, um, building the consistency first. And that usually requires running in an effort that you think is way too easy. Um, because the consistency and the frequency is where you're going to get a lot of your initial gains. Mm. So that would be the first goal I would want you to accomplish.
2: Well, how long should I run? And I said long instead of far on purpose, but how long should I run when I'm starting out?
0: I would say, you know, and I would I would want to see how your body how you respond to this. But I would say you start out with just like 20 to 40 minutes at a time for the first week. Say you try and run five days the first week, and you run 20 to 30 minutes each of those runs, and just see how it goes. And you keep it nice and calm and easy. And if after a week you run five days of a half an hour each, and you feel great then we probably we either maybe we add a sixth day or we start adding some of the, some duration, maybe taking it up closer to an hour on one or two of the runs. And we just keep, it's like you don't want to apply too many new stresses at once. So the first thing would be getting the frequency up. And then the next thing is probably getting the duration up. And then if all those things go well, then we start injecting new challenges, like whether it's different speed or different hill things to work on different physiologic systems. And a lot of that would be dependent on what you want out of the sport. You know, if you're trying to run a fast 5k, it's going to be different than if you want to complete a hundred mile trail race. Sure.
2: Well, I'm just going to throw this out there for fun and we'll change the topic. Thank you very (laughs) much for all the detail and the personal coaching. I think uh, it's very valuable and uh, I I need to take careful notes because I always overdo it. That's just what I do. But you know, personally the thing that that always has amazed me is when I'm doing a 14er. So maybe it's, 3,500, 4,000 vertical feet and going to high altitude and back. And maybe it's a half marathon length, you know, 13 miles or something like that. And, and then an ultra athlete comes by and they're running the 13 or the 14 And I see someone run up the mountain and run back down again when everybody else on the mountain is just struggling to get to the top and back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And so that has always blown my mind. And I know, Matt, that you're one of the ones who could run to the top and back down again. How long does it take to get that fit, to be able to do that?
0: That's a tough answer in the sense that certain people genetically are just like, they, they start at a higher point than others. So it depends on each person. You find out pretty quickly when you're working with an athlete, kind of where they're starting out on the spectrum. And then it also depends on how into the sport they are and resistant to injury they are. So how fast can you ramp up? But one of the really cool things about trail running is you don't have to go fast to be able to cover a lot of, a lot of ground and see a lot of really cool things that if you're walking with a 30 pound pack, you just, you just don't get to cover that much ground. I mean, it's similar like, if you're biking, I think you, you can cover more ground. And, um, I just think it's cool. Like you, could, if you could get to where you can even, you know, cover 12 to 15 minute mile pace, you know, and have that be comfortable out on the trails you're gonna you're just gonna be able to see so much more in the time that you have to be out on the trails and you can get to some really cool places on foot and you, you get out there and you think man I, I ran it, it's just a cool feeling to get up to the top of mountains or up on a ridge line and and to know that you you got there on your own with power and you just your own legs and lungs and so I would just encourage anyone that like is interested in, in exploring the backcountry that you can if you get a little faster with your running, a little more fit with your running, it just opens up so many more options to you, which is a cool, a cool thing to have in your toolkit.
2: Ah, yeah, that's really exciting stuff. I think that's a good time for us to segue into your lifestyle. So, Julie, let's switch to you a little bit because I talked to Matt a lot while you were putting Pavo down. But um, a few years ago, Julie, before we started, I mentioned a few years ago that you and Matt decided that you wanted to travel and offer Pavo different experiences um, than just the traditional stay-in-one-place-and-work-all-the-time experience. And Matt detailed how many countries and continents Pavo's already been to, which is just remarkable. What makes all of this possible, Julie? How do you pull this off?
3: Uh, well, having... Uh, I always think of nuts and bolts right away, not philosophically. So Matt's more the philosophical one. So uh, in terms of like the finer details, I, obviously having the online business like, helps financially. Like, if we had jobs where we were tied to one place, this wouldn't really happen. But uh, having had the online business, that obviously makes it happen. And then, uh, I don't know, we just kind of, we dabble in both, though, I would say. Like, we spent six months in uh, Seattle this past year, seven months, I think, just to, like, settle for a bit. And it was kind of like, yeah, this is cool, but now we're ready to be done. And so now we've been traveling since January, and it hasn't gotten old yet, but I could see it getting old, like maybe in like six months, we'll be like, okay, let's, let's try and like settle for a little bit again. And then after that, we'll get tired of it. We'll go travel again. I don't know. It's a a little rambling. (laughs) No,
2: you're, you're shaping the picture. Let's dive into a little bit of detail. Where do you sleep at night? Where do you stay when you travel?
3: Uh, Well, um, either Airbnb, hotel, family and friends. Uh, We have like, sort of a mental list we always know like a know of that we have like in our you know kit that we can look through to book a place or find a place to stay. Um we just kind of patchwork it, I call it, like where uh, we know we wanna let me step back a little. We always have big pillars, I would say, which are like the races that we want to go to. That's what helps us decide where to go to is usually Matt's races. Um or maybe one of my races. Uh, or one of our athletes, if they have a big race, and we're like, yeah, we want to go to that race and help you out and go there because it's cool. So we set those big pillars in place and then, like, work from there. Like, okay, we know we're going to stay there for a week for that race. That's around this cool place. Why don't we go visit that? Or, um, oh, it looks like lodging's really cheap in, like, this city. Let's go check that out right next door. I
0: don't know. But, I, I'm thinking to jump in and give a, a real-world example. So... When we left Seattle in January, the reason we were going we we knew where we were going to go first. I had signed up for a race in Hong Kong. It was a 100k in Hong Kong at the end of January. So it's like, all right, we know we're going to go to Hong Kong. And then we have one of our really good friends who's from Indonesia and she was going to go to Bali for 2 weeks in February. And we thought, "Oh, we would love to go hang out with our friend Dion in Bali for 2 weeks." So we knew we were going to go to Bali in 2 weeks in February. But then we had three weeks in between the race and Bali. So it's like, well, where do we go? What do we want to do? And so we ended up actually flying to Australia and spent three weeks in Australia, came back to Bali, spent two weeks there. And then we happened to find a, a cheap a, a flight that we could book through rewards points from Auckland, New Zealand to San Francisco. So we thought, all right, let's go to New Zealand for the last week because we have a free flight home. So that's how we ended up planning like a, a two and a half month. Trip. It was like, we know we're going to Hong Kong for the race. We want to see a friend in Indonesia. We have four weeks to fill in and we know how we're getting home. And we just gradually filled it in as we went. Sometimes we book stuff. It's like you book Hong Kong Lodging pretty far in advance, but we didn't book anything for a lot of the other places. We just figured it out when we went. So that's just one kind of like little mini trip that we did and how it sort of comes together.
2: Oh well, that's neat. We had a, a traveler on our show recently who made the point that travel is not that hard to do if you don't uh, have too many preset expectations. The point was, he would say, instead of saying, I want to go to Greece, let's see how I can get there, he would go and look and say, where could I go for a little bit of money, a lesser amount of money that I would like to see? And so he would go choose the trip that match the budget instead of choosing a trip and then trying to come up with a budget for it. Do you, do totally you find like yourselves working that way?
0: Very frequently. I mean, like Julie mentions pillars and it's like, we know we're going to be in Chamonix, France at the end of August. Cause I'm running a race there. But like what we do between the end of July and the end of August, a lot of what we've done it's like, we'll go on Skyscanner or Google flights and say, we know we're going to be flying from here. And there's a, option to say fly any anywhere everywhere or something like that and it will show you all the prices for all the flights and we only we try and just do direct flights so it's like where is a cheap direct flight that is somewhere that's cool and you know that's often how we end up picking where do we go <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: well how's that worked out for you because a lot of people have dreams it's my dream trip is to go to uh, oh, I don't know, let's say New Zealand, my dream trip is to go to New Zealand, and I'm going to have to do it and fit it into my schedule, and then it's going to, how much money is it going to take, and I want to stay in this kind of a hotel and all of that, that's a different mindset. So when you just kind of say, well, let's go somewhere cool with the resources that we find, how does that change the dynamic?
0: I think that because we are sort of living what we would think of as like a permanent nomadic lifestyle, it's not it's never about like, oh, there are these dream places we want to go. Like when we go places, we kind of live normal life in each place. I mean, yeah, we'll do a tourist thing here and there. But, you know, we went to Melbourne, Australia for a week and it was like we just lived there. It was great. You know, we went grocery shopping and ran on the paths with all the local runners and we loved it there. Um, And it wasn't like we had always dreamed to go to Melbourne. I, I think part of it is just like a mental framework of thinking like, Hopefully, we can do this for a long time. and It's our lifestyle. We can go. The world's huge. There are tons of cool places. And like what opportunities are available right now? And that's where we go.
2: Mm, cool. So is the world <laughs> a bigger place than you thought it was when you started out? I
0: mean, there's way more out there than what a lot of our friends or family or just people in general probably realize. I mean, there's people living normal life all around the world right now that you don't realize and I Julie used to always say something about like we lived in Ethiopia for six months a long time ago and like right now at this very moment someone's like buying some tomatoes at a little market and we're in Addis Ababa and like it's just normal life over there like it is over here but so in some respects it's small and that a lot of it's the same anywhere you go but then it's also huge because there are just so many places to go and so many cool things to do so many mountain ranges to run in and um, so it's like, I don't think we could exhaust the list. Um, it's never like, oh man, we did all the stuff we did. Which ones do we want to circle back on and do again? <laughs>
2: mm. Well, yeah. I find sometimes that you go to a location and when you get there, you start finding out about the stuff that's in that general area, right. That you wouldn't know about from a distance. And that makes that location yeah. have so many more details that you want to then do and see.
3: I think, um, what I find more fascinating is not so much, like, whether it's bigger or smaller than I thought. I just, I find more fascinating what's, like, nor the norm for people, like, everywhere else. Like, to see what's normal for other people and what's so different from what we call norms. Like, I just love seeing, going to towns and seeing, like, what... I don't know, like how most people either don't have cars or like most people walk everywhere, or or like in small villages in like like in Ethiopia, like the little vegetable stands, like that's the norm. Or uh, I find that the most fascinating piece is like, or just seeing how like different weather has made certain places the way they are, you know, because they've like adapted to what their weather is. Or
2: mm, yeah, so... that's what
3: I find fascinating it's not so much the size just how people live and like some every time i think like there's a norm i go somewhere new and i'm just like wow people do it this way like that's just so so different i don't know but it works in so many different ways
2: from your travels have you found new ways of doing things that you kind of adapted into your own lifestyle and said you know what we learned this in this place never would have thought of that but this really works for us
0: i want to say yes but i can't any specific <laughs> examples? Say yes. to say say yes without being able to point to something? You
3: want to say <laughs> yes too?
2: Well, what about a favorite food or something like that? You see, you know, I never would have thought of that being a regular part of our diet, but now we like to have that a few times a month.
0: Oh man, if I could find dosa and idli, I mean, we've never even been to southern India, but we got a lot of it in Malaysia. We we learned to love southern Indian food. We, um, yeah, I mean, we we like food from all over the world now, so it's. I think maybe a way to say, yes, it has definitely impacted us. It's just that, like, when we do things that are different than how things are done in the States, or just, like, how our families or friends do things, I don't feel at all bad about it. I'm like, no, this works for us. Like, Pablo shares a bed with us, and he loves it, and we love it. I don't think it's kind of like the normal American thing, but, like, there are parts of the world where it's totally normal that, like, families share a bed, and they, like, we go to bed at the same time, and... And you know, like, it's not normal maybe here, but like, I don't feel bad about it because I don't know, it works and we see it work in other places in the world. So, um, I don't know, just I think it's helped desensitize us to being different in a lot of ways.
2: As I'm sure you know from listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, some of the safest and best snow conditions for backcountry skiing of the whole year happen in the springtime. And Bentgate has the gear you need. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Salomon, Volley, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in Avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. The 180 Flame is the
1: ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fill you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180TAC.com or a retailer near you.
2: 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. You know, I experienced something over this last year, and I want to throw it out there for you guys to kind of unpack. When we moved to Gunnison from the Front Range of Colorado, then it required that we go back to the Denver Front Range quite often. And we're going back and forth so much that I, I lost a sense of home, lost a sense of place. And I know now that you have lived this lifestyle for several years, and you really don't have the sense of what home is, right? So... How does that feel, first of all? And do you think it's a positive thing or a negative thing? And uh, what has come out of that that's kind of surprising?
0: Julie's looking at me like, I'm like, come on, Julie, it's your turn to answer. And she's looking at me like, no, go ahead.
2: (laughs) Well, let's break it (laughs) down to just the first one. You guys, uh, how does it feel to travel a lot, to be in different places a lot?
3: I would say... um a friend asked me this, she's like, does it get lonely? And I would say sometimes it does. Like our sense of home is more of like, who are our closest friends that we wish we could like spend more time with? For me, that makes me feel more at home is surrounding with like the coolest people we know, like our friend Dion, the one that uh, we went to Indonesia with, like she's going to come to Chamonix. And I feel like when we spend that week with her, that will feel like home. It doesn't I don't really care to spend the time in, the, in Seattle with her where she lives, but like to be with her to me is more feeling like home. And then uh, I would say like when we're on the road, we, the one thing that like we carry in our kit that makes me feel some sense of like home and normalcy and routine is our little AeroPress coffee maker. Like I love that part of my day where we get up and we heat up water and we make that cup of coffee. It's like, ha, ah, this is like my daily routine that I get to keep no matter what, I can always find ground coffee. And like, I, that's honestly, that makes me feel like my routine is there. And we have a home if I have my coffee.
2: (laughs) I really love that. I love the idea that home is the people you're with, not necessarily the location where you are. And then routines become an anchor as well. Something that so in in travel, a lot of people, they, they can't wait to go on vacation, they go on vacation. And after a couple of weeks, they're like, I can't wait to go Home, right? <laughs> the travel starts to feel tiresome, and but how do you get past that? How do you get to the point where you say, "No, this—you are home, not here—is home, but you are home, and this is normal for us."
0: I would say there's a a big part of it, and we've gotten better and better about this over the years. Is that there's kind of a nuts and bolts answer, but we structure our travel in a way that it's not so tiring. I would say when Pava was less than a year old, we left when he was four months old and went to Mexico and then went to Europe. And we were so exhausted by like the end of that first year and a half of traveling that we just didn't want to move anymore. And I feel like one of the big things we've learned is like we stay in a place for at least a week. Usually we, we often don't stay with friends or family for very long periods. We like to have our own home and our own space. Um, I mean, it's fun. Like, we we will stay with people from time to time because it's fun. But, like, in general, like, we stay for a place for a week or two. We only travel on certain days of the week where they're generally less busy days from a work perspective. And we don't feel any sense of obligation. Like, oh, we're in Greece. We've, we're we in Athens. We need to go to the park. or all the different checkpoints on the tourist list. It's like, yeah, we'll see which ones kind of fit in. I have a cool kid activity for Pavo that logistically aren't exhausting you know a lot of people when they have vacation they want to cram as much into that week or two that they can and we I think just having the framework of thinking like no this is just normal life like I don't want to be exhausted I want to go to bed at a normal time and like get my work done and get my running in and like if I can fit in some other cool stuff awesome but like just the experience of living normal life in all these different places is really it's a eye-opening valuable experience so I, I feel like we've just sort of like Chilled out a little bit, and we don't feel like we have to cram a lot in. And usually, when we start cramming stuff in, we get tired and worn down, and we're like, Ugh, "We gotta, we gotta chill out again." <laughs> mm,
2: I love it. So it's kind of a matter of instead of going somewhere to do something, it's more a matter of living wherever you are.
0: Yeah, just having the experience of like living for a week in Bucharest or living for a week in Bali in, in Ubud or a week in Sydney you know like you, you get a lot just from like walking around Sydney for a week you meet cool people you talk to cool people it's gorgeous and then after a week it's like hmm, I can stay here another week but I'm ready to move and then you go to you go to like to Auckland and then down to Rotorua and you spend a week there and you're like man this is a cool place I had some cool runs and now we have a flight to San Francisco San Francisco is great and you know you just sort of like fill in you know we, we make a little Google map with most places we go we sort of like pinpoint some of the highlights stuff that we want to see or do. And if they get done, cool. But otherwise, you know, we're there and we just live a normal life in a new place every week. <laughs>
2: I love it. So Julie, tell me about stuff. Cause I know that to make this lifestyle possible, you had to change your, your approach to things. Um, how do you manage stuff in your life?
3: Uh, it, it, it still accumulates even without trying, but, uh, yeah. Well, we always call it like rounds of cuts of our stuff. And so this last time when we left Seattle, uh, we did a big round of cuts. And so we have our stuff down to seven Rubbermaid tubs, I believe, right? And a friend's garage. So uh, we're lucky that a friend's letting us keep our stuff there. Uh, so yeah, we have all that stuffs down to that. And like, that's mainly just I don't even know what's in there. It's probably stuff we don't even need. <laughs> you know, we'll do another cut when we get home. But um, but then like on the go, uh, well, our end goal was to each have a carry on, like one Osprey backpack carry on. And so, Papa has his own. He can't carry it obviously, but he has his own. And we each have our own like Osprey. Papa's is 40 liters. Ours is 46. They're 46 feels a little big, but uh, that's like the nuts and bolts answer of that is we each have three carry-ons and then i'd say it's like a constant battle of like not accumulating but it's tough because uh with kids as you know they toys only last for so long in terms of like keeping their attention and so we're constantly getting new like books like uh I've found that like Target has really great like dollar books. And so I don't feel guilty just passing them on or recycling them. If we use them for a week or two in a new place and then we're flying again. So we're like, all right, time to shed the books. Or um, time to shed these like dollar cars that Pavo, you know, has used for a while. Uh, And then clothing, like, I feel like through hiking helped us in the sense that we are really good about like whatever we carry has to have a purpose and like, for multi-purposes and like pack down well, be light. Uh, and it's still hard not to want to like accumulate more clothes for sure. Uh, but I don't know. It's a kind con- if we get to like pre-flight and we're like, we got too much stuff, I-, I don't care. Just going to Goodwill and taking away to Goodwill. Like it's hard to like lose that or it's hard to get rid of that, like strong connection you feel with your stuff. But Once you do it over and over again, it gets easier to just be like, nope, taking this bag Goodwill, won't miss it in a week. Like, I won't even remember I had it.
0: Yeah. It's hard to get rid of it in the moment. Yeah. But then, like, a few days later, like, I don't remember when I got rid of that. Like, that was a cool thing, but I don't remember getting rid of it. (laughs) It's like when they're gone, they're gone. and It's not a big deal.
3: Mm.
2: So, Matt, I'm going to ask you this on the philosophical side. You know, especially Americans, we, we get so caught up in stuff. I, we assign value to it that may or may not be healthy. You know, it depends. But philosophically, when you took on a nomadic lifestyle, the first stuff that you gave up was that sense of permanent home. But then another stuff you had to give up was the sense of permanent things that you uh, you could keep and say, I'm going to buy this and have it for 10 years. You know, now you're living a lifestyle where it's more transient nothing's really permanent and it can't be. What are the benefits to that in other aspects of life? How do you think that's impacted you as far as emotional or cognitive, you know, uh, domains?
0: I would say that the biggest positive impacts are that our focus on the things that we have is way more about function I mean, there there gets to be some emotional attachment. Like Pablo's got some cars that he's had for the last two years, and it it would sort of sadden me to get rid of pink car, or his little ice cream truck car, you know. But like for the most part, it's just like these are things that help us live our day to day life and get stuff done. They're not like a a thing that are that's associated with who we are or our worth. And it puts the focus way more on what are we doing for our days that makes us feel good? And what are we doing for Pavo that you know, makes his life good? And um, so the focus is, is not about our things. Our things are we, our means of getting things done. But the benefit is that like the focus then is on like our day-to-day living and making good decisions and trying to be happy and take good care of each other and... So I think that's the big philosophically. It's just that our focus isn't about things. It's about our life and our experiences.
2: Mm, I love that. Do you think that in general it has made you happier?
0: Um, It's a tough question because, I mean, happiness is a really tough one to define. And for me, I would just say like, well, Julie, what do you think? Because I'm uh, I'm an optimist. I'm generally happy anywhere, so it's hard for me to say am I happier or less.
3: I would say it's made my life easier in the sense that um, I'm a really terrible decision maker. Like I'm like, oh, do we do this or do we that? You know, and I like weigh my decisions for 15 minutes of which shirt to wear, but I only have three shirts. So really, how long can I take deciding which shirt to wear? So, <laughs> like, like I don't have to really decide. It's like, well, the white one's dirty, and I have two gray ones, and so it's this gray one or that gray one. So. <laughs> Like, how many decisions do I really have to make? I have three sets of running clothes, three t-shirts, two shorts, you know, one pair of pants, a pair of tights, a fleece, a puffy, and a raincoat, and rain pants. Like, that's it. So, um, and like six pairs of underwear in case we don't have laundry for like six days. But, um, so it's really easy decision making. So for me, it's easier because I hate making decisions and I... like makes it doesn't make me more sad to make decisions but it just gives me more anxiety to make decisions so the fact that i don't have to spend that time or like same with pavo like he has like two shirts two shorts two long sleeves you know and so i don't even have to decide on him so uh, i would say that part's nicer for me
2: well i think it sounds liberating
0: another fun side effect is like we get new stuff all the time. It's like you have two shirts at a time, but then, like, oh, you get a new shirt from a race. You're like, I like this one better than one of the two that I have. And so I ditch one of the ones that I had and, in favor of the new one. And Pavo gets new toys and stuff because we just keep cycling them in and out. And you know, rather than just, like, piling them all up and keeping them all, it's like, no, oh, we pass that one on to so-and-so who we're visiting. And we give this to so-and-so. And, I don't know, it's it's nice so you get new <laughs> I feel like we always get new stuff, which is fun. I mean, not like in an expensive sort of like we're just spending money frivolously, but it's like you you get new stuff frequently and (laughs) it's kind of fun. It's fresh that way.
3: A bigger, like another philosophical piece is getting rid of that fear that you're going to be caught somewhere and not have something that you might need. Like it's, I mean, we have a good kit in the sense that we're ready for like Warm weather, chilly weather, we've got puffies and rain stuff, but they all pack down really well. But, like, if I get to somewhere and it's, like, I really, I need a better, I need a really good pair of gloves, I'm just going to buy them. Like, I'm I'm not going to carry something for two years and then thinking, like, I might need this really nice pair of gloves. Like, so, I feel like it's getting rid of that fear that you're going to be caught without something because you're always, like, there's always going to be a place to buy something. Like, or there's always Amazon, or there's always... Some way to get things, people are going to find a way to sell you something, so
0: but people are always willing to sell you something,
3: so trying to get rid of that fear. But it's like the I'd say it's like the Boy Scout fear of like not being prepared, you know. But,
0: um, yeah, just have a credit card with no foreign transaction fees, and you're fine.
3: Yeah,
2: (laughs) there you go. Well, and the thing that you have to realize too is that things that you're going to need because of a location generally people in that location have solved that problem. They're going to have a solution when you get there.
3: Exactly. That's where we found the best running gloves were in Chamonix because, like, they're used to needing, like, wet weather running gloves. So that's where we found them.
2: (laughs) That's fun. Yeah. Really cool. Well, congratulations to the two of you. I think that your lifestyle is, it. I mean, for someone who's not doing it, it sounds romantic and, and liberating and fun. And I know that for people that live this sort of a lifestyle, it has its own set of dynamics, right? But sure. you're doing something unique. Most people aren't living the way that you live. And it is just so enchanting to think about. And uh, congratulations for pulling it off. I don't think that's an easy thing. It had to take some real effort and determination.
0: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. It feels just like normal life. You know, it's like you make your decisions, you, you have your options, the menu to choose from. And you think about which one's the best option, and then Blood. you pick it. <laughs> and it
3: was never flipping a switch to the lifestyle, you know, any any life you're in, like, you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, this series of events led to this point in time. But it mm. was never like a flip of a switch kind of thing. It's always just gradual, like, under the surface, things happening. And then suddenly you're like, oh, wow, I guess I am living this life right now. Yeah, so. well,
0: we've been doing it since we were 20 years old together. So it's it just, yeah, it just keeps evolving. Mm-hmm. Nice. Someday, hopefully, it's going to evolve. To a sailing trip around the world on a catamaran. I'm still working on getting everyone excited yeah. about that I'm one. Gonna get... Someday we're going to get that one in.
3: Matt's just sneaking that in.
0: <laughs> That's
2: fantastic. Well, we'll have you back on when you do that and talk about cruising because yeah. <laughs> that would be a whole other conversation. Let's talk a little bit about how people can follow you. You have a, a blog called Irbyville, irbyville.com. Um, the coaching site is teamrunrun.com. And then, Julie, you have books on Amazon. Tell us briefly what you have there.
3: Uh, Well, I just have a book on each of the long trails, on the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and then the Continental Divide Trail. So, like, personal journey kind of books, like, um, not biographies, but, you know, just stories about how it was living on the trails and going from Mexico to Canada or Georgia to Maine, um, each of the trails. So...
2: Nice. So it's not a how-to guide as much as it is a, a memoir. This is what yeah,
3: the memoir. experience was. Yeah, totally. Not a not a guide, but it's memoir, personal journey, and
0: and yeah. I can throw out there for anyone that's interested: um, the first five days of every month on Amazon, if you use their use a Kindle or you know get the Kindle version, we offer one of the the books for free for the first five days of the month. So if you ever you know want to read any of them we cycle through which one it is every month but like one of the books is free for 5 days a month
3: yeah
0: um so we encourage people to get the free ones if, if they're interested they're free yeah the first 5 days yeah
2: well very cool so this episode will be coming out around the beginning of July so it ought to be timely then Oh perfect yeah and again uh teamrunrun.com com what else, where else should people go to catch up with you guys?
0: That's it. I, think. I mean, we're, we're on, as a, as a company, we're on like, Twitter and Instagram and all that and Facebook. But so we're at team run, run coach on Twitter and uh, team run, run for Instagram. But that's, that's all like running related and sharing the success stories of our, our teammates and our coaches. But I would say if anyone's interested in, in getting connected with a great coach, we have tons of cool coaches. So we're happy to hear from people if they want to get into this, the cool ultra sport. we got a lot of good mentors if, if people are interested.
2: Well, I know that I have about 500 more questions about running and being healthy and avoiding injuries and what to wear and how to do it. And, and that's what people can get from your coaching, I'm sure. So if you're interested in running out there, go to teamrunrun.com and find out more. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's always fun to catch up with the the three of you, although Pavo's not been on the show yet. Next time we're going to have to have Pavo there too. But it's also, it's so cool to hear about what you've been up to and where you've been. And and, uh, again, thank you for your time.
0: Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, you bet. And for all the listeners out there, isn't it cool (laughs) to think about living a lifestyle like that? Wow. Until the next show, figure out what your cool is and get out there and have some fun.
1: All right, thanks for listening to Matt and Julie Urbanski talk about world travel with the family as well as some ultra running. If you haven't signed up for Patreon, please do so. It's $5 a month and you get a lot of benefits in there. It's patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast. Thanks for helping to support the show. Now get out there and have some fun.